Hello, and welcome to the Superhero by Design podcast, a show where we interview real life superheroes. My name is Ace, and I'll be your host. On today's episode, we step into the arena of mindset and building the life of your dreams. The man taking the stage, so to speak, is a global wealth and mindset expert and has more than a dozen companies under his belt and lives his life purposely pouring his heart and expertise into the lives of others. Please put your hands together and welcome Brian Dalmasso. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here and to, uh, to be serving your audience in any way that we can. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I know this is going to be a really great episode for everybody, including myself. <laughs> Brian has started the Matrix Success Network, which is a business mastermind where he teaches people about having a millionaire mindset and building wealth. You can find more information at matrixsuccessnetwork.com. Also, be sure to follow Brian on Instagram at Brian Dalmasso. That's spelled B-R-I-A-N-D-A-L-M-A-S-O. All right. Well, you look like a non, uh, no-nonsense type of guy, so I'm going to skip the rest of the formalities and dive right in. You ready? I am, sir. I appreciate that. All right. How are you doing today? Me? Awesome. Amazing. Every day is uh, we wake up with intention, so very blessed. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'd like to, to get the hard question out of the way first <laughs> so that we can ease into some more uh, easy questions moving forward. Um, so I read that, that you're in Delray, Florida mm-hmm. currently. Is, are you born and raised in Florida or can you tell us more about where you're no, originally from? I was actually born in Pennsylvania till age two and then my parents got divorced when I was age two and my mom uh, took me and my brother back to Massachusetts where I spent the last 50 years. So uh, being in Delray is only over the last two years, which is a, just a, an amazing environmental change. Oh, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love Florida. Definitely love to visit. Not sure if I'll be there at some point myself, but there's so many amazing things about that state. There is um, good tax state. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Good tax advantages, great weather, great people, oh, diversity. Great. So there's a lot that it has to offer for sure. So, okay. Well, growing up in the, the Northeast in Massachusetts, you said, mm-hmm. uh, how was your upbringing, uh, especially having your parents be divorced at such a early age? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm fully transparent. Anybody that knows me and my audiences knows I'm, I'm a, I'm an open book blank slate. So uh, we had a lot of love in our family, but it was just my mom. She was a waitress. Me and my brother were living in a third floor apartment, uh, which my grandfather owned. And um, like I said, we had love, but that's about it. <laughs> you know, gotcha. I always tell people we kind of grew up American broke. We weren't impoverished. You know, we weren't suffering, but, you know, we weren't going out to eat. We did no vacations. You know, we didn't have a whole lot, a lot of hand-me-down stuff. And, you know, my grandfather really stepped in as my dad. He was the one that taught me to ride a bike. You know, if we did go out to eat, it'd be with my grandparents. So. Um, but we had love, though. You know, I, we have a lot of our clients that uh, have had real tragic upbringings, you know, alcoholic parents or just really, you know, dark things. And I've been very blessed to at least have that love and that foundation of love for my mom. And, uh, and she ended up uh, meeting and marrying an amazing guy who really took over the role when I was about 10 as my dad. And, uh, and it worked out really well that way. But we never um, we never had a lot of money, uh, even when she met, um, you know, the, my new stepfather. Um, he was an engineer at a traditional job, but it went through the economy, ups and downs, laid off working, laid off working. So, uh, anything I ever wanted, I had to somehow figure it out myself. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like having that support system, even though it, in some people's eyes, it might've not been the most ideal. However, you did have love, as you had mentioned, your Mm -hmm. mother, your grandparents had stepped in, you got that masculine role model in your life, which I feel as, as a man myself is so important for people to have, especially during those developmental years. Um, So it sounds like with the engineering, the work ethic, there were things that were instilled in you from an early age. No, there absolutely was. And his name is Chuck, my stepfather. And he was a, he was a um, electronics engineer, but he, he is like a genius. He really is a genius level. I mean, he could take anything apart and rebuild it. Uh, so like whenever I had like a science project, like we would win all the time, you know, the egg drop from the top of a building. Um, we, we, you know, got to do things like that together. We took dirt bikes apart, rebuilt them. So I always had that um, mechanical, uh, intelligent influence. Now that, that type of energy is not the same as somebody that understands entrepreneurship and wealth building. So he's super genius, intelligent, but was not able to really translate that into earning, you know, more than, um, you know, he's always an employee making other people rich type of thing. And then, you know, as I reflect back, my grandfather was really the first thing that I know of what an entrepreneur was. He was a plumber uh, and he was uh, from Germany, but he also had three apartment buildings and he had side hustles, right? So he worked for himself and he was uh, well-respected in the town. Everybody knew him. And as I reflect back, that was really my first exposure to what an entrepreneur is versus it's almost like rich dad, poor dad. I was just about to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And that just came to me the first time in my entire life, by the way. My grandfather's an entrepreneur. My stepdad was more of a working guy and he was a victim to the economy. We'd be doing well. And then, you know, he'd get laid off because he was a pretty high level guy. And then, you know, no work for six months, right? So I was never really able to accumulate more than just the uh, the condo that, that we all lived in. And, uh, and you know, not good or bad, it just is. But that's so funny. That just, that just kind of came to me, the rich dad, poor dad thing. Yeah, that's an incredible realization. As you were saying that, I was literally thinking of Robert Kiyosaki and mm-hmm. uh, the dichotomy between his two fathers. And it's really interesting that that you mentioned that because uh, from reading your bio, you started off out of high school working as an engineer for General Electric and also moonlighting in college. So can you walk us through that experience and sure. uh, what it means to you now? Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, I was very blessed to um, have a certain set of circumstances happen when I was young. You know, I had a paper route when I was 10. I had another one when I was 12. I was busting tables by 14, working in a supermarket by 15. So, any, you know, if I wanted a bike, if I wanted something, I always had that. I knew it wasn't going to come from anywhere else. So I kind of, for whatever reason, had that realization. I've always been entrepreneurial that way and a hard worker. Uh, but when I went to transition from, from grade school into high school. There was a big thing that happened. I really owe this all to my brother, and he probably doesn't know this, because I could have went to a normal high school, traditional high school, but uh, there was a technical high school that my brother went to, and he went into the uh, drafting, machine drafting, if you know what that is. Uh, way back when we used to draw, you know, uh, engineers used to draw instead of That's being right. on yep. This is going back that far. We learned to draw um, mechanisms, right, mechanics. And I had no idea what that was, but I, uh, I literally followed my brother into trade school. And that was the most pivotal thing. And uh, I should probably tell him this. I don't know, I don't know if he even knows this, but it was the most pivotal thing in my entire life. Because if I would have went to traditional high school, it would have just been math, English, science, history, and then go to college. I learned a trade, machine drafting, which is entry-level engineering. 
And I really took to it because we were drawing, even though you're drawing machine parts, it was, it was fun. And I was really, really good at it, you know? And uh, we, I graduated at the top of my class in that. And halfway through junior year, my first mentor stepped in, who was my trade school teacher. Now, I didn't know he was a mentor. I didn't know what that was at the time. But when I look back, like he really took a shine to us. Uh, there's a couple of us. And he brokered the deal with General Electric to have us go from the trade school into um, uh, almost like their, their engineering program. So we were 17 years old. They had never done it at the high school level. It had always been done at the college level. So we were literally the first people in history at this plant in GE to go right from trade school into their engineering program. Okay. And uh, so I was 17 years old, right? Um, and then if I back up a step before that too, the same mentor, uh, when I was in um, high school, halfway through junior year, I got to co-op. It's where you literally go to work for a week and then come back to school for a week. You do your academics one week, and instead of going to the trade, you actually go out to work. And I worked for a civil engineer and learned the whole trade of civil engineering. And I was getting paid like as you know a normal um, person on the engineering staff. So in high school, I was I was earning you know far more than any of my peers that are working at the grocery store. But again, it really comes down to that one mentor that that um, took me by the hand and connected some key things. Right, the the uh, the civil engineering job in high school, and then um, after high school, General Electric. So uh, I was a very late bloomer too. All in high school, like trying to get with the ladies, never made it happen. Uh, yeah, kind of hung out with the cool kids, but I also hung out with the nerds. I was kind of a chameleon, but I just never, um, you know, was able to get the cojones up to take that next step. So when I got the job uh, halfway through junior year, there's a little confidence boost, right? It's like, wait a minute, right. like, I'm out earning everybody here. And it wasn't an ego thing. It's just a little bit of a confidence boost. So my senior year, I, you know, I had the brand new Chevy IROC Z, right? If you remember what those were. Oh, I loved IROC. That is a sweet car. <laughs> so next thing you know, I'm driving that thing to school senior year. And everybody's like, what the hell's going on here? And by the end of senior year, I got the uh, the gumption up to uh, ask out the homecoming queen. And, uh, and she said yes. So that series of events, confidence-wise, like, changed everything. That's incredible. Isn't it so interesting how life tends to happen for us rather than to us when we start to take a look back? And while we're in it, we can't really see the yeah. forest from the trees. But when you take a step back and... I, it's just absolutely incredible the things that were put into place to allow you to get onto the journey that you're currently on. It's it's absolutely incredible. Believe me, I have some train wrecks coming up, so stay tuned. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, we're definitely going to get into train wrecks. I, I love that. So you've had the mentorship. You got to go to this exceptional program. You start working for GE as an engineer and just to let you know i'm i'm a structural engineer by trade so okay, when you talk mechanical so cool yeah so when you talk engineering uh drafting all of that it's it's right up my alley but i'm assuming working at ge as an engineer w2 employee i don't mm -hmm. know if they still had pensions at that yep. point or not they had but, pensions 401k six weeks vacations i mean you want to talk about a country club it was just absolutely awesome yeah. So it, it seems like it would be the perfect opportunity and job for somebody who wants to work 35, 40 mm -hmm. years, retire with a pension, live what I would con used to consider the American dream. Mm -hmm. Was that your experience when you first started there? And Absolutely. 
Okay. And obviously yeah. that's, that's changed since then. So if you could just walk through those experiences and how yeah. you went from being a W2 guy to an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that situation is what I call an invisible prison, right? I didn't know any better. I was doing better than everybody else that I knew of. Like I, said, I wasn't hanging around with entrepreneurs. Everybody was getting jobs and doing the things. And I just wasn't around people that were, you know, uh, real estate investors or entrepreneurs. This is back in the 70s, uh, 80s. So um, it wasn't like today where you Google, you know, and you get a million things to, you know, invest in and revenue streams. So uh, I was like, this is amazing. I was so blessed to be there. People were there, you know, they were in their 50s and 60s. They had, you know, multi-million dollar pensions. And the, um, the downside is they weren't really doing much. We were in a union and some of these people were just like so entitled. They weren't even working hard. It's almost impossible to fire them. So it was a little bit of a negative paradigm that I um, absorbed over a period of 10 years. So, uh, but we were working on the latest and greatest CAD systems. We were working on uh, nuclear steam turbines for uh, power generations and submarines. So the work was amazing. And um, I probably would still be there, except that they closed our plant in 1998. Oh, wow. So uh, honestly, I don't know. I would probably still be, there was no reason to leave. Like nobody in my world was doing anything at a higher level that um, I was would have left. I mean, it was, I was working um, seven to three 30. So my day, like imagine getting out at three 30 and still being able to do all the things. And um, the work we were doing is amazing. The people I thought were amazing. And um you know, like you say you could work you up to six weeks vacation. So it was, uh, it was definitely what I call an invisible prison. But in 1998, like I said, they closed. I'd been there 10 years, wasn't prepared for that. It was pretty sudden. And I was a one revenue stream guy. That, that sounds like it, at that time, it probably was a pretty difficult situation that you felt like you were put in. So it's funny because I look back and you might think so, but for whatever reason, I, I, I have this, it is what it is attitude. Okay. And I don't know why um, Bob used to call this being an unconscious competent. Everybody has their own superpowers. And for me, it's like, well, I can't do anything about it. So let's just look forward. I've always looked forward. I've never like dwelled in the moment. I, there's literally nothing I can do about it. Um, and I was still young. And um, so let's see, let me, let me back up a little bit. While I was at G, I, I met somebody, uh, the original girlfriend, we broke up, met somebody else, got married, um, had a baby two years old. So that, that takes us all the way up to right when GE closed and we were doing fine. We had a condo, had a little dog, little baby, all the things. And we had the plan to build a house and all the things. Uh, when they closed uh, within eight weeks, so I lost my job and she said, you know, I'm leaving <laughs> um, for you know a whole host of reasons. It takes two. So I'm not blaming anybody, but lost a job, lost that and lost where I was living, ended up on my buddy's couch all within like an eight week period of time. And, um, you know, when I tell that story, a lot of people say like, holy, holy, I was going to swear, holy cow. <laughs> um, that seems like a lot. But when I reflect back on me, for whatever reason, I'm just like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, um, you know, I can't control her decision. I can't control this. Um, you know, the buddies couch that ended up, we were good friends. I, I actually, you know, just regrouped, focused on my physical fitness, focused on um, my new, you know, getting a new career. And because I was... Um, very talented at CAD design, I landed a job with two principal engineers. So I went from the biggest company in the world to literally two guys and me. So this was a jump in, even though I didn't know in the company, it was very entrepreneurial what we were doing. Like we had this office on an old military base. It was old. We were like rustling furniture together. It was very uh, eclectic and, and really cool. 
And, you know, they were pulling in jobs um, uh, like automation and, and outsource engineering. So the jobs we were getting were very varied. We worked on like solar golf cart tops. We worked on superconducting equipment for American Superconductor. Uh, we worked on stuff for Starred and just, it was, I learned so much. In injection molding, rotational molding, all about uh, design. And we would visit, we would design and actually build things in the shop, hands-on. Didn't do, can't do that at GE because of the union, right? I wasn't working on the turbines. So that was the best job I'd ever had hands down. And I would have stayed with those two, <laughs> but we, uh, you know, we got going as the three of us, we built it up over five years to 20 people. Um, and just having an amazing time. And, um, I don't remember exactly what happened, but they got into a big government contract that was so big and then it didn't, it didn't work out. So it, it just tanked them. They were, they weren't big enough to absorb the, you know, the net, you know, 120 or whatever it was. And, uh, and they ended up going out of business. So, um, in the meantime, Back the last couple of years when I was at GE, I started uh, like a handyman business, like a design build construction business on the side. I was building decks, painting houses. Started off with me doing all that stuff at my house. And then mm -hmm. some of my neighbors said, neighbors said, wow, look at that deck you built. Can you build me one? Sure. Painting my house. Can you paint mine? Sure. So I started a side business. And I think that was my first venture into multiple revenue streams. So I had GE and I had my side hustle. Uh, and that's probably why I wasn't so concerned when GE closed. I did have, you know, I had another piece of something to work on, even though it was part-time. Um, so I was building that on the side, you know, my part-time construction business weekends and nights, working with these guys. Fast forward five years, um, they closed. And then I go, I go all into construction because I had this thing built. And um, I'd been remarried at that time now, yeah, towards the end of the five years or whatever with, with that company, remarried. Um, so that's my second one. <laughs> yep. And, and that marriage, that marriage in that journey, uh, lasted about 10 years. Uh, so even when that company closed, the woman I had married, uh, her brothers, three brothers in the family were big into construction. They were site operators, dirt dogs. Right. right. Uh, so I got exposed to this whole network of construction and builders and things like that. And, um, I ended up meeting my next mentor. Again, he probably doesn't know this. So I should probably reach out and tell him, uh, in the construction space, great guy, had a you know pretty thriving residential construction business. Uh, he'd been in the business for 20 years or more, his entire life. So he had he had all the you know subcontractors and the skills. He was a reputable builder, and he was looking for a project manager. So uh, in the meantime, the reason why he was interested in me is I had uh, designed and built a 5,000 square foot home. I got it in my head. I want to build this. I'm in this this family now. We got a piece of land from her parents. And I literally designed on CAD a 5,000 square foot home, had 30 foot, uh, 30 high foot high ceilings in the middle, uh, oh, wow. six yeah. beams, LBLs. I mean, it was, it was more of a commercial building. And um, I used all those connections to build it. So this guy's like, holy cow, like, this is your first house? <laughs> it was nothing like anybody had seen in the area. And we paired up. I became his project manager. And we had a, we had a great run uh, all the way up until 2006. That's incredible. Once again, just great nuggets of, of knowledge as far as getting a mentor, mm -hmm. building yeah. that relationship. And the funny thing about your story and what you've told me so far is it seems like life keeps happening for you rather than to you. You're finding mentors in your life. You're not seeking them. But at the same time, something you talk about a lot is that millionaire 
mm-hmm. mindset. When you got laid off, it is what it is. I've, I've got something else going on. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to think in terms of scarcity. You know, we talk a lot about mm-hmm. scarcity versus abundance mindset. And it seems like for what you do today, there was a lot of these mindset ideas, views, ways you told stories about your life that empowered you rather than disempowered you. So it, for those of you listening, it's no coincidence that this man finds mentors without looking for them, has obstacles just like all of us have, but he overcomes them or goes around them or straight through them rather than letting them pile up and, and cover him up. And Mm -hmm. so I just wanted to point that out because as, as you talk about these stories, there's these, these, uh, little tidbits of success and my, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most of it has to do with, with your mindset and how you go about living your life. Yeah. Everything has to do with mindset. There's, there's nothing else. Mindset is primary results are secondary. So it's not that some of it, it's everything we do has to do with mindset. Cause I could have looked at those situations differently, curled up in a ball and went into a depression. Now, again, so I have a little bit of what we call unconscious competence, but for those who don't naturally have that program in their subconscious mind, it can be taught. That's the beautiful thing. You know, I don't have some of the programs that Elon Musk has, but I've, I've wired them into my mind. I didn't, I wasn't born with them, but I now know them. Right. So the beautiful thing is you don't have to worry if you don't naturally have that. It can be taught. And that's what Bob was an absolute master at, you know, taking a Harvard level subject and teaching it at a fifth grade level. And he taught me to do the same thing. So I was very blessed to kind of have that. It is what it is attitude and move forward. But if somebody doesn't have it, that's okay. It can be taught. No, that's incredible. So those of you that are listening, Brian started the Matrix Success Network, which is a business mastermind where he teaches people about having a millionaire mindset and building wealth. Check out his website at matrixsuccessnetwork.com. You can also follow him at Brian Dalmaso. I'm saying that correctly, right? Dalmaso, yeah. It's funny. Most people butcher it, but you nailed it. Okay, perfect. Yep. Instagram at Brian Dalmaso and check out what he's what he's posting about because it's all this mindset, wealth generation. It's absolutely incredible. You had mentioned um, the name Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, from my research, you, you were mentored by Bob Proctor. And mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know who he is, he is a Canadian self-help author and lecturer. He was best known for his New York Times bestselling book, You Were Born Rich. And he also was actually a contributor to the film, The Secret, back in 2006. Um, Now, for those of us in the self-help realm, a lot of us do know about Bob Proctor. But can you just tell us uh, how you had met and how the mentorship went with him? Sure. I'd be happy to. So a lot of people actually don't know Bob. If you say, you know, Tony Robbins, everybody in the world knows him, but he's very commercialized. Um, He does amazing work. But a lot of people actually don't know about Bob Proctor, even though he's helped millions and millions of people over time, because as you mentioned, he was one of the stars in the movie, The Secret. And that was shown um, over half a billion people have seen that. Right. So Bob is somebody that his early life was not going well at all. He was a his parents grew up in a depression. So he's a product of that environment. And I mean, in his early teens and and 20s, um, you know, he's into alcohol and he was depressed and not going well at all. 
Uh, and he bumped into a mentor, a family friend that was wealthy, always had a stack of cash, always healthy, happy, upbeat. And um, the gentleman asked, him, Bob, what do you want? And this was when Bob, uh, I think it was in his early 20s, he had failed out of high school, never graduated high school, went into the military, almost got kicked out of there. And when he graduated there, he got some bartending jobs and he had about 18 bartending jobs in 12 months because he was, he was drinking. And he finally met somebody again, stumbled across family friends. He said, what do you want? Now, this is back, you know, in the 60s or something and um, or like um, maybe even the 50s. But um, he said, Bob, what do you want? He said, I want $25,000 because back then that would be like saying I want 250 grand or something. Right. Right. Bob wasn't even taking him that seriously. So I can show you how to get that if that's what you want. And because the guy's results were so good, Bob believed him. He said, all right, I'll bite. And he, uh, the gentleman handed him this book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill. Yep which I have a leather bound signed book right there by Bob. That is, that is the crux of what we teach. This is like our Bible. This is an entrepreneur's Bible. Uh, that book has made more millionaires and billionaires than any other publication in history. So for your listeners, if you don't have the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, get it. Uh, it's a little bit of a dry read, but in that book are 13 success principles. And if you follow them, like I did, you will move towards wealth, right? And wealth isn't money. Wealth is health. Love, philanthropy, spirituality, your environment. Yes, finances and business, which are two separate things. But we have this wheel of life that you'll see in the matrix on my Instagram and stuff. When we talk about wealth. I'm not saying money at all. I'm talking about the whole human experience. Uh, so Bob did what this guy says. And um, at the time, he had managed to weasel his way onto the Toronto Fire Department, mostly because they have like most of the month off. Like they work like a week and take. So he did it out of sheer laziness. And I uh, met this guy and uh, decided he was going to start a cleaning business, commercial cleaning business. Um, so he got himself, got a, um, mops and buckets and, and um, started cleaning some offices on the side. And um, he started to make a little bit of money. He said, well, maybe I, maybe I can expand this. So he went to get a loan for $900 and he got turned down, I think, close to a thousand times. Oh, wow. That's absolutely. He was a bomb. I mean, his credit, he said, he said, I wouldn't have lent me money. I get it. Right. His his early track record, he had no credit. He was kind of a bum as far as that goes. Speak, Go ahead. Uh, real quick to interject. Speaking of GE, Thomas Edison, how many times did he fail at the light bulb before it actually worked? It, it was they probably close to 10,000. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, when, when you talk about being turned down time and time and time again, that's something that most I would say most successful people have experienced that constant Absolutely. rejection. Yeah. And it's not even rejection. It's just finding out ways that don't work. True. So we, yep. right, we shift how we label things and in, in our perception. But yeah, there's, there's a, a formula for success, right? It's desire backed by faith and persistence. Faith is on the frequency, right? That's on the, the um, sort of in the thought process. And persistence is the physical action. And there's many, many stories. Colonel Sanders, same thing with his chicken recipe. Close to a thousand times people said no because of his track record. So uh, that's another thing I've had for whatever reason, just an unyielding persistence towards something. It's not like, you know, three months, six months, if it doesn't work, there is no, if it doesn't work, it's just change the plan, persist, change the plan, persist. So uh, that persistence, he finally got a loan, um, hired a few people, started cleaning commercial office buildings. But in the meantime, he was reading this book and he was listening to The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale on a record player in his car. He had a little portable record player. So oh, no he way. He still has it. Well, he just passed away this past July, but I've seen it at his house in his office. This little plastic 
portable record player, the small EPs, he would play the strangest secret over and over and over and over. So we now know that as the principle of auto-suggestion, it's brainwashing. Right. So he was reading this book, he was starting these companies, and he was doing these things, and he went for about a 10-year run up until age 31. He had commercial cleaning offices in Toronto, Boston, England, Australia, like six countries, I think. I may be butchering a little bit, but he had a multi-million dollar global business. And by age 31, um, he was in the Playboy clubs, he was gambling, he still had that compulsive part of him making millions when a million was a lot of money. This is back, like I said, in the late 60s, I think, um, maybe early 70s. And uh, he was, found himself in the Playboy Club one night, like drinking some scotch or something. He's like, he wasn't fulfilled, number one. But number two, he said, how the hell did I get it? He's like, I know what I did, you know, got, went from here, uh, cleaning business, blah, 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 but, but why? And that's when he was really connecting with Earl. He uh, sold the business. He convinced Earl to work with him for 18 grand a year. And he, he, he got his first, like, well, I guess that would be his second mentor. Uh, he's had, Bob's had many mentors. This is a second major one, Earl Nightingale. Okay. Uh, Victor Conant and Earl Nightingale, Lloyd Conant, if you guys know him. Uh, so he went to work for him in this industry. He started studying the mind. So that was a shift like I did when I went from construction, and I'll get into that later, into what I do now. That was his similar type of shift. So people thought he lost his mind. Like you're giving up this global multi-million dollar business to go make 18 grand a year and hang out with this guy. But that's, that's what he, and he moved his whole family from England to Chicago, which Chicago's cold, right? Right. And uh, he's just following his dream because he wanted to figure out like what happened. And he spent the next nine years in study. Just studying, he studied metaphysics, science, theology, like authors, books, all these different things. And he, find, he finally came up with the answer of what happened and what we now call a paradigm, right? He started to understand like the mental program stored in your subconscious mind that caused results and how to change them. And he had an image, matter of fact, I have this guy here, of something we now call, I don't know if you guys can see this, the mind map. <laughs> okay. So this is a gold, little gold physical replica, but you know, you have, you have conscious, subconscious in your body. Right? We get conscious thinking, but the subconscious drives the body. And this is what he discovered. Now, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Thurman Fleet put that little mind map together, I think in 1934 or something. Um, and Bob discovered it. And he said, holy cow, that's the holy girl. This is why I went from broke to millionaire. Because I, I brainwashed myself with success principles over and over and over and over again. And because the subconscious is about a million times more powerful than the conscious, that's why it takes repetition, consistent space repetition. That's what he discovered. So it's not enough to go to a seminar for three days and come home. It won't work. It just won't. And you need to take small bits of information over three to six months repetitively before, okay. before the idea will go from conscious into your subconscious, which is the data storage center. You know, if you were to start to learn Chinese right now, you wouldn't just read the whole you know, language this weekend, right? Right. You take very small bits of information and you would practice them every single day. You wouldn't practice once a month because not much would happen. It would, it would need to be anybody that learns languages. It's an everyday thing, small bits. And then you go on to the next section, next, next, next. Same thing with golf or anything else. Uh, so that's really what he discovered is that whole principle of, of why um, the programs we have in our subconscious mind, how they got there and how to replace it is what he discovered. Yeah, I talk a lot about daily rituals, daily mm -hmm. habits, and 
just rewiring your nervous system. Mm -hmm. This, what you said relates to that very closely. However, what I didn't realize is taking it from your, your conscious brain down to your subconscious. So it becomes a part of your, your everyday. I was listening to uh, Deepak Chopra yesterday on the Ed Milet show. Oh yeah. And he was, he was talking about consciousness. He just came out, I guess, with a new book on yoga and, and, and all of that. But it was really interesting, his take on consciousness and the stories we tell ourselves, what our subconscious is telling us and that how that dictates our lives and things we do or don't accomplish in our lives. So it, it just crazy how you talking about this, how it completely relates uh, to so many successful people. And, and um, I think that one little piece will help you. Like I said, it sounds like you have a very good understanding, but this one little piece might help you. The reason why we need auto-suggestion, we need to read something every night, is again, is because it's the way we're designed. Like our subconscious, that's the emotional mind. Our, our conscious is the thinking mind. So if we have a fleeting thought to become a millionaire, not much will happen. But if we repeat that every morning and every night for a year, your subconscious will, will buy the idea, right? It's a million times more powerful, so it needs repetition. And it'll cause your body to do the things and attract the people, places, things, and circumstances to make that result happen. It's a transmutation of energy. And if you think about people like, why is it such a pain to ask to change a habit? Well, it kind of needs to be this way because if we didn't have this mechanism, every morning when you woke up, you'd have to learn how to walk, read, eat, talk, right? We need to be able to store programs. The problem is that when we're born, we're um, programmed by ignorant people, our parents in school and society. And ignorance doesn't mean bad. It just means not knowing. If you had grown up with like Richard Branson as your dad or Warren Buffett as your dad, same you, same baby, different environment, you'd be a multi-billionaire right now. And it wouldn't even seem like a big deal. You just have different programming, right? So there's no fault. There's no blame. It's not your parents' fault. It's not the school's fault. But once we become aware of this, there's a, wait a minute. If this is how it works, then why don't I just start wiring in new programs and go down the journey of how people um, learn? This is how we learn, right? So it's really just an understanding of the mind-body connection, how it works, and getting in harmony from here going forward and starting to install the programs of health, wealth, love, happiness over time. What are some ways for those that are listening to this podcast, just simple ways that they can start implementing some of these practices into their everyday life? Sure. Well, one thing is one of these things here, a goal card, physical goal card, right? Um, less than 1% of the population has a written goal. And 1% of the population controls 96% of the world's wealth. So those of us who have written goals are in the fraction of the 1%. I carry this everywhere. This is This tells my subconscious when it's in my pocket. I read this every morning, every night. I have two of them. This one says, uh, so happy and grateful that I'm earning in excess of $10 million a month net for multiple revenue sources in 2023 in a calm, confident, heavenly manner. And the other one is by age 60. I'm 52 now. So I'm so happy and grateful that I have a net worth in excess of $21 billion for multiple revenue sources in a calm, confident, heavenly manner by 2030. Um, now, I'm not there yet, right? But um, I have gone from two revenue streams to 48 in the last 10 years because I keep reading these things. I keep attracting, 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 right? I'm the CEO of a software company. We have The Matrix. Uh, I mothballed a construction company. Uh, we have a new fintech company that's the biggest thing we've even ever done. And I just keep getting ideas. I'm networking with people. We have 
you know, a beautiful family at the matrix. So it does appear that things are moving in that direction over time. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, I know for a lot of people, they'll do their new year's resolutions <laughs> and that's the only time of year that they're yeah. going to do goal setting. And then fewer people actually write it down, but then forget about it for mm -hmm. the rest of the year. They do a one time event thing. And for me, myself, I do what I call weekly check-in. So I, I, That's you know, good. I, I do that every Sunday for an hour. Yeah, it's a great um, habit. And, but I love what you said because it's so simple. Just write that on a card. It, it was laminated, so mm -hmm. it's going to stay safe and, um, and just carry that around with you. Have it on your mirror in the bathroom in the morning. Yeah, your phone, absolutely. It should be little things everywhere. And, but the key is to read it with passion and energy every night and every morning. Put the intention from your conscious into your subconscious as you start the day. And the same thing at night when you go to bed. And it might yeah. even sound like a lie. You might be broke right now and saying, I'm, I'm happy and grateful that I'm earning a million a month. That's okay. It's okay if it sounds like a lie. Well, that, that's the thing too, is our subconscious doesn't know the difference between doesn't truth and lies or even reality. That's why Think and Grow Rich is so important because you're Absolutely. changing your reality by reprogramming your subconscious. That's the whole premise of the book. And it's absolutely phenomenal to see somebody like yourself because it's easy to discredit. Oh, it's only for the lucky. It's only for the few, but you are oh, a living yeah. example that that is, yeah. it's, it's not only possible, it's relatively simple to get there. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a, it is, it is actually very simple. It takes time, but the process is simple. It's just not taught in schools and there's no such thing as luck. People can win the lottery. Oh, I got so lucky. What they're really saying is I don't know the causes of this effect. And there's, there's, we don't know really anything about anything when we're talking about the universe. We know a sliver. It's like the light spectrum. We can only see 1% of all visible light and light contains information. So this infinite amount of light with information that we're not even catching with our senses. It's the same thing with this, right? Um, and then the other thing before we wrap up here, I want to get out is the law of relativity. A million a month is not big or small. There's no such thing as big or small. A squirrel wouldn't know what that meant, right? Right. We have conscious awareness and relativity. We relate to our past and our situations. But if I was with Elon Musk and I said, I'm, you know, I hit a million a month, he'd be like, well, that's cute. Yeah, right. So it's just, so we need to get in environments where people have the results you want, like purposefully networking in masterminds where the people have already got the results you want. You're going to get the information. You just do what they say and time becomes the only variable. You can let go, let God and move forward. That's absolutely incredible. I am in masterminds myself. I cannot say enough great things about them. You're exactly right. Getting yourself around people. They always say, if you're the smartest person in the room, yeah, you, find, you, another room. <laughs> yeah, find another room. And I'm with you on that hundred percent. Put yourself around people that you admire that are doing the things you want to do. And just by being around them and catching what they do, obviously you need to be attentive, have energy. Uh, I want to uh, reiterate that too. If, if you're passively trying to absorb information, especially as an adult over the age of 25, it's not yeah. going to work. You need it's, the repetition. You need to put emotion behind it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So I have not, a little formula that I think will help your audience too. If they follow this, doesn't matter what you're trying to do, whether it's health, wealth, love, relationships, doesn't matter. But we exist on three planes, spirit, intellect, and body. 
right? Thinking mind, subconscious mind, and body. We express through a body. So anything that you want to improve, the fastest way to do it is in all three planes. So whether it's meditation or prayer, you know, praying on your goal, visualizing the, the results done, and like, whether you're, like I said, prayer or meditation, but there's a spiritual component in the morning and at night. Then there's an intellectual component. If you're in sales, if you're in real estate, study the people that have gotten where you got, read the books. Intellectually, we can get new information. And then daily physical action. If you're doing those three things, the fourth thing is just to let go and let God. You're, you've solved the riddle. Time becomes the only variable. You don't have to worry if it's going to work anymore. Study in your mind, study in your industry, take daily measurable action, let go and let God. And you can literally just release and let go because fear and doubt and worry are low frequencies and everything we want is on a high frequency, which is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely incredible. And I really, really wish we had more time, but I know you're a busy guy. No and worries. So we can do it again sometime if you want. I, I was just about to ask, and I would love to have you on again. This sure. was an absolutely incredible conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. For those of you who want to know more about Brian and what he does, check out the Matrix Success Network. It's a it's mastermind. It, it He holds cl- master classes, all of those things. He is at a point in his life where he just wants to give and see other people excel. He's He still has his own goals and he's going to keep knocking them out and hitting them. But he also just wants to give, give, and give. So check out matrixsuccessnetwork.com. Follow him on Instagram at Brian Dalmasso. Once again, man, I really appreciate you coming on. You have enlightened me. I honestly, I'm going to listen to this episode over and over and over again. And yes, let's get you on the books. I would love to have you again so we can continue this conversation. Awesome. Much appreciated. Again, I, I always love when people you know, have me on, allow me to, um, you know, I'm not asking people to believe me or not believe me, but hope I, hopefully I spark attention so they start on that journey of study. And uh, I appreciate you too as well. I appreciate you, man. So thank you for coming on. For those of you listening, Brian Del Masso, check him out. And I hope everybody has a great day. And until next time, peace out. <laughs>